Hi, and welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Linda Fang. Uh, Linda and I met just during IMS Global events and kind of a common uh, passion for education and technology. And so when I started this podcast, she was one of the first ones to hop on board and say, hey, I want to be part of this. I want to help out. Linda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and to what extent you've been involved in EdTech standards? Yeah, thanks. And it's great to be here. Thanks, Brandon, for for even taking the initiative to start up this podcast. Um, so uh, again, I I'm one of those people that uh, I think uh, I could talk about edtech standards all day long. Um, so a little bit about me. Uh, I've spent most of my career actually working on products for students. I, I've been wor- I've worked on uh, the student information system uh, at both Oracle and then later PeopleSoft for. <clears throat> several decades, I think. Um, I uh, From there, I moved to Instructure and worked on the Canvas Learning Management System. And the area that I've always been involved in was around the exchange of data between systems. So I first worked on data that came out of the SIS platform and, and uh, was used to provision uh, information to the learning management systems and other downstream learning applications. Um, and then later when I moved to Instructure, I basically worked on that same problem just from the other direction. Uh, so is it, you can say I've seen that student data coming and going. Um, when I first got involved with the standards, I ended up co-chairing the Learning Information Services Working Group for IMS. Um, that was several, about almost 12 years ago now. Um, and the one roster standard that's pretty popular now in the K-12 space is actually a derivative of that work. Um, there's now actually a new API initiative called the Edu API, which is trying to take the same information model that was developed from learning information services, later one roster, and helping to make that a more generic API that can be used across both K-12 and higher ed um, around getting student data out of uh, systems of record and moving that around um, for the purposes of uh, provisioning and and servicing uh, all of the learning ecosystem. Um, and I've also been involved in the Caliper workgroup since that started. Um, and I'm also currently co-chairing a, a task force within IMS that is around app vetting and privacy. So that one's slightly tangential, but still somewhat related. So so you mentioned that it's always been kind of about um, exchanging data and with a privacy focus. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, between the one roster uh, work and maybe the EDU API or Edu API? Um, what what would you say like the main differences between those two, or in terms of, or I guess, what's the main area of convergence uh, technology wise between one roster and the Edu API? Yeah, so the Edu API is intended to be defined uh, more like using the open API standard. Um, so, and it eventually could even, I mean, it could, it's REST-based today, and that's that's sort of the primary mechanism, but going forward, it could be um, using other um, API mechanisms, um, could be using like GraphQL at some point. Uh, so, so the idea is to have an agnostic API definition and also uh, a generic data model that can service multiple um, uh, what's the word? Um, um, scenarios. Scenarios, yeah, or different technology harnesses. 
So Linda, tell me a little bit about how standards have evolved over the years and what's different about how it works today and why is that so important? Yeah, so standards actually in, uh, in the 80s, of, which is several decades ago, um, started out as a formal process. There were certain standards bodies like you'll probably remember, you, you, you're familiar probably with ISO and ANSI. Those are still around. Um, and and there, are, there are some uh, formal standards that are still uh, done through those groups. Um, but what happened was around, um, and, and at, uh, sorry, and at the time, they were dominated by large enterprise companies. So the IBMs and the Microsofts of the world, in fact, Microsoft was still actually an emerging company, believe it or not, at that time. Um, but, but there was an era in which formal standards process was really the only way that any kind of uh, a technical standard would actually be um, uh, developed and then used. Um, what happened sometime in the 80s and 90s and, and into the 2000s was that um, the smaller industries started to get together uh, amongst themselves. So they formed communities and they created consortia around the communities to help work on industry-specific standards. And again, it was because a lot of the foundational aspects were already taken care of. We had HTML or HTTP already um, sort of set. And so you had the W3C, which established what those standards looked like. And then it became a matter of what were the application level standards. So standards kind of got almost hierarchical in a way so you could layer them on top of each other. And so that's the standards process that that in the ed tech arena, we tend to deal with mostly today. Um, but even then, I'd say that the standards uh, process has evolved in, uh, in, in ways that are more positive today than, than it was before. I think um, about a, a, you know, a decade ago when I first got involved, um, for, you know, felt like the standards process was really just a bunch of tech geeks who would just get in a room like a couple times a year, try to make software work with each other. Um, but what was happening was a lot of the standards that people wanted to work on were, were not really aligning. And uh, what it came down to was that there wasn't enough good market input. Um, so a lot of what has changed in for the better now is that uh, there are constituent groups that represent uh, buyers in the market that can help really drive the priorities for um, where the standards need to go. Um, and that's really made a lot of the difference. Um, and the other big change, I think, is that the IMS uh, Global Learning Consortium is um, also in a better position to help establish what compliance means, and they've gotten more rigorous about establishing that so that vendors and the companies that are trying to claim compliance, um, that there's actually a, a, a real process behind that. So you're saying not just IMS, but other standard setting bodies in general, maybe it's an ed tech, maybe because it's more personal, you know, dealing with student data, for example, right? Um, yeah, so, so different industries will tend to have the, uh, the consortia that where the con community comes together. So mm -hmm. in the ed tech space, one of those places is IMS. Uh, but for example, uh, retail has a consortia around that that they use to set standards, and also, um, you know, manufacturing or transportation or healthcare. They each have their own consortia for that. 
So what do you think is the most important next frontier for EdTech standards and why is it so important now? I think there's a lot of possibilities for new ways that we can provide better services now to students. Um, and it's the same way that, that uh, if you think about consumers these days, we are taking advantage of the sort of more modern ways that people are doing things. We can get stuff online. We can um, do a lot of searching for things. We can do a lot of comparisons um, and get access to a lot of information that we didn't previously have online. Um, we were really, we as students, we expect that now um, when we are interacting with our, our environments uh, as students, when, when we go to school um, and, and um, are wanting to take our uh, courses online um, or even interact with professors um, through the university. Uh, and in order to really do that, I think, I think you know, the systems that we're using today are really going to, are going to have to change. And there's, there's kind of a, a plumbing change that has to happen underneath um, to really make that possible. Can you provide like a real life example of what you think that might look like for students? Yeah. So the way I like to think about it is in, um, you know, like if, if I go online and look for a restaurant, um, if I go around, I, I'm going to want to check what every restaurant's menu might have to offer, um, or I might want to look at the um, uh, the when when a restaurant is is open, so their their operating hours. Um, so, but I might use different apps, like I I might use DoorDash, I might use Google or Yelp or Open Table. So, what I'm expecting is each one of those apps. Um, has to have a way to display those same kind of information like menus and hours and things like that across all of the restaurants. And really that's only possible when you have a standard API for interacting and gathering up that same kind of data across all of those um, different restaurants. What would a common API for students potentially lead to? Yeah, so right now, every student information system out there has got a slightly different format um, when they're uh, producing data about students, courses, and who's in what class. Um, and so, for example, I was just at a conference where I talked to an ed tech startup, and they're making a student service bot. It's a, like a chat bot, and it tells you things like what classes you should sign up for based on your interests and your current schedule. Um, it can also alert you to announcements from your teacher when you have assignments due and so on. It's a really great interface and a lot of the, the smarts behind it are because it can retrieve information about the you as a student and gather up that information. Um, and again, this can lead to all sorts of new and innovative ways that, uh, that people can get help with what they need as a student. So what if you were a student and you wanted to find other students that you could study with? Um, it could, maybe you would want the app to give you something that was more personalized about what learning resources you need based on where you are in your class, what assignments you have coming up. Um, you know, you can, you can do things like interact with your advisor um, over the same kind of interfaces today that, you know, again, maybe it's, maybe it's over email or text or, or a chatbot like like this this um, this new interface that that I just learned about. 
Um, all of that, you know, all of those kind of apps, they can't be powered unless they have the kind of data behind the scenes that tells you about um, who you are. So it knows who you are. It needs to know what courses you're enrolled in. Um, it needs to know things like where, um, where your interests are, where have you been, what's your, what's your history. Um, and it really wouldn't make sense for every student to have to enter that by hand into every app. Um, we would expect that that kind of information just is available to those apps. And of course, the most important thing is that access to that data would need to be secure and only available to people who are authorized to request it. Um, so that's another key part of this is um, we you know, certainly need to get that kind of data um, surfaced about students, but we also need to have it be surfaced in a responsible way. And, and that's good. I, I hear a lot of talk about blockchain, right? And how the blockchain, the information belongs to the user as opposed to, you know, even the vendor sharing, right? So um, that's a possible application where the user would have this blockchain of all their different apps and app information, and, but they'd have control over where it was accessed and how it was accessed. So interesting. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, so this is super interesting, Linda. Thank you. What do you think are the biggest things educators can do to affect positive change in this area? Well, I think the most important thing that educators can do is just to demand that the applications that they're working with um, actually work with each other. Uh, so if app developers are motivated to build using those standards, then they're going to re realize the benefits beyond just making their app work but making it fit into that larger ecosystem without a lot of tweaks and headaches. And that's the benefit really where every new app just knows about who you are as a student or a teacher and where you've been and where you want to go. Um, so where, uh, and also if that you as a student or a teacher have control over granting access to your data and being responsible for how that app is going to use it. So with all of this information and where we want to go, um, what, what if, can you summarize what we've learned that others may find interesting about working with standards and possibilities and, all, and everything kind of together? Yeah, so I think that where we are with EdTech standards, it's really exciting. We're at a point now where there's enough momentum that the key stakeholders in the market are connected up with the key suppliers, people who are actually providing those products, and they're listening. Um, so we have this great opportunity right now in front of us to try to advance uh, the, a new frontier for, for better apps and apps that can kind of take care of you better, or I guess give you what you need. Um, and do it in a very secure and responsible way. Um, so I really feel like it's a good time to be in ed tech interoperability standards. <laughs>